Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pylon, he is the new head coach of the Colts. Shane Steichen joins us. Hello, Shane. How are you? Good. How are you guys doing? Did you almost end up in Terre Haute, Indiana in 2014? Gosh, you know what? I did. I almost did. Well, I'm a Terre Haute guy. I went to Indiana State, and uh, you're going to have to come clean. What the hell happened? Uh, I had an opportunity to continue in the NFL and go to the Cleveland Browns, so I went there. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Enough said right there. But I I was kind of curious regarding your relationship with Mike Sanford, who once upon a time was the head coach at Indiana State. And I think, did he provide you your first opportunity as a coach collegially? He did. He uh, gave my first GA job when I was done playing uh, for him. I became a student assistant with him in 2017, and then 2000, uh, it's not 2000, 2007, and then 2008 and 9. I continued on as a GA there, and then I ended up going to Louisville with him uh, in 2010 with Charlie Strong. You still? And then I went to the Chargers. You still close at all? Uh, you just... Yeah, yeah. We still talk and text every once in a while. Yeah, that's cool. All right, Shane Steichen is with us. Moving forward, last 24 hours, how has that been? Have you had anything figured out, coaching yeah, staff-wise? Work, working through a lot of things right now, getting the staff together, uh, hiring some guys, uh, talking some guys, interviewing some guys, going through that right now is the biggest process uh, that I'm working on right now. Yeah, and obviously when when you got this and you went through, I mean, it was one of those long type of deals where there was a lot of conversations going back and forth from, you know, Chris Ballard, Jim Mersey and, and company with you. What, what sold you on the idea of moving forward as a first time head coach of the NFL with the Colts? Well, you know, I just heard so many great things about this organization and then obviously the rich tradition here, um, you know, obviously dating back to the Peyton Manning area uh, with all the, you know, the guys they had here and all the success they've had and just heard so many great things uh, about this organization and had great conversations with, you know, Chris and uh, Mr. Ursay uh, through the interview process. And I just felt like it was a great fit for uh, myself and my family. Was it one of those things where the, the connection kind of hit early, even though it was a, a long process did the connection kind of hit early for you and and those with the Colts yeah it did you know obviously I had the zoom interview to start you know that the bye week when we had the bye week going into the playoffs I did you know about a five and a half hour whatever it was zoom interview with them and and myself and Chris and everybody else that was on the call uh, just just felt really comfortable with him and, you know, saw the game very similar and just, you know, the core values and the philosophies that we believe in. Uh, the interview went really smooth. And then obviously I had the second one uh, in Philly uh, going into the Super Bowl week. Shane Steichen is the new head coach of the Colts on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Clearly they did a great deal of research on you. Um, and you're a guy. You're a guy that's not without that as well. How much did you do on them, this organization, and where it is right now? Yeah, no. Again, just like they did, you know, research on me. I did it on this organization as well. And again, I heard nothing but great things about this organization. The people uh, that are in this building. Obviously, I've had connections, relationships with people that have been out of this building, uh, and they had nothing but great things to say. So I thought it was a great fit for me and my family. Obviously, you matched up against them in November with the mm-hmm. Eagles here in town. What'd you take away from what you saw? And I know that you had no idea where this was going to go, Shane. But what yeah. did you take away from that particular matchup? From 
from what you saw, especially on the defensive side of the football for the Colts? Yeah, no, shoot. It was uh, probably our toughest game uh, of the year um, offensively for us. You know, Gus did a heck of a job, you know, with the defense and gave us fits. And uh, I know we found a way to win it there at the end. But uh, just toughness and, and just the grittiness that, you know, those guys played with uh, defensively. Obviously, that's what I looked at that side of the ball, obviously, you know, being an offensive coach. But you could just see the passion they played with, the heart they played with. Uh, it was a heck of a game. Well, I remember this. Jalen Hurts, it, like the uh, uh, the uh, the river parted, the seas parted, I think, <laughs> for that touchdown. That was the game winner right there because they certainly defensively was not ready ready for that, which was the the difference in that November matchup of the Eagles getting the win. Shane Steichen joins us. You mentioned Gus Bradley. He mm-hmm. was at the presser yesterday. Is it safe to say that, that he's involved in this decision process for maintaining the defensive coordination of this Colts team? with you yeah absolutely you know me and Gus are having those conversations over the next few days but I got a tremendous deal respect for Gus you know worked with him for four years in LA Um, just a tremendous person tremendous leader and tremendous coach you mentioned yesterday too Shane that you're going to call your place Um, Nick Sirianni obviously your head coach in Philly started doing that in year one he turned that over to you and then you guys really took off and certainly this season took off with you calling the plays as the offensive coordinator in Philly was there ever any thought of you to turn that over to an offensive coordinator and make sure that you're up on everything else or was that always going to be a priority for you calling the plays in year number one yeah, you know, I've, I wanted to call the plays. Um, I've been calling them for a while. Um, and obviously, you know, down the road, could that change possibly down the road? But right now, you know, that's what I'm going to do to start uh, start the year. Uh, I love what you mentioned yesterday, too. You went over all these players, and so many of them are are skill position players at a high level. And one was Phillip Rivers, who had a fantastic season here um, as a quarterback. What what did he tell you about this situation? What did you lean on with him, informationally speaking, about why this was a great spot for you? Kind of what I mentioned earlier, he just said the organization's phenomenal, great people, um, everything about it, first-class operation. I mean, he really enjoyed his year here, uh, and he had nothing but great things to say about the community, the fan base, um, the organization. He said it was top-notch. Yeah. Did you, um, you ever think, I know he does it high school-wise, how good of a coach would he be at the NFL level? Oh, he'd be unbelievable. There's no doubt about it. You watched him here, and this is something, such an extension on the field right now as a coach. And as we move forward, there's no doubt, Shane, that we know that talent is is what you're looking for. But that extension to a coach that, that is on the field with your quarterback in mind, it seems to be as important as ever in this era, too. Yeah, there's no question. When you got a guy that plays the quarterback's position that sees it like a coach and can process information quickly, you know, it's a game changer for you as a coach. Um, and obviously he was a game changer when I was with him um, over the past, you know, whatever it was, six years with him as the quarterback coach and a little bit as the coordinator. Um, just phenomenal, phenomenal football IQ. Uh, like I said, he was probably one of the better coaches uh, that I've been around too, but also he was our player. Yeah, and uh, were you <laughs> he was older than you and you were coaching him up. And you, you probably learned, I'm assuming, learned when you were with Philip Rivers uh, probably as much from him as he was learning for you during that no, process. There's, no, there's no, no no question about it. The one thing that I really took from him was protections. You know, that was his kind of his baby, you know, getting things picked up from a protection standpoint, the blitz thing. I would always make the, you know, the blitz cut up for him and organize the, the pressures for him from, you know, the four down looks, the double mug looks, the odd looks, the overload looks, all those things. And I'd categorize for him and then he would go through and watch and he's like, boom, here's 
thought we're going to block this up. Boom, boom, boom. And he'd have all the calls in there. I mean, he was he was tremendous with that. He was unbelievable. And obviously, it starts with the protection. Uh, you got to have a clean pocket back for the quarterback back there. And he knew how important that was. And so that was very important to him. I, um, I, I thought this with him too. And and you got to deal with it. He snapping the ball was gone when he was here. And I always thought that that, that gave so much of an advantage to an offensive line. Then now you have different variations in quarterbacks. But did you ever have anybody get rid of the ball? You know, process pre-snap process, snap the ball and get rid of it any quicker than what Philip Rivers did. No, I don't I don't think so. He's probably one of the best to ever do it. I mean, his accelerated vision was top notch. I mean, he saw the play coming to life right when that ball came from the center to his hands. He knew exactly where he was going with the football and he was tremendous, tremendous at finding the checkdowns. I mean, he made a living, you know, finding the back out of the backfield and just knew when the defense would sink and get some depth. It was like, here, I'm going to check it down and let the back go get 10 and make another guy miss and maybe get 20. And, you know, sometimes you can create those chunk plays. And obviously, Jonathan Taylor is one of those guys that we have here that, that can do that. Have you met with all the players, some I, of the players? Know, I have not. I have not. There's a few at the press conference. I've reached out to a few of them uh, by phone. Um, and I'm still working on that right now. It's uh, Shane Steichen, the new head coach of the Colts on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Do you have a vision at all? And you know, Obviously, I'm not asking you where you're going to go at quarterback, who you may draft, who you're going to hard target, whatever, but do you have a vision on what you're looking for as a long-term quarterback with you as head coach here? Well, we just want to, you know, we just want consistency at that position. And myself and Chris and the rest of the personnel department and the coaches, you know, we're going to go through that process here uh, in the next few weeks. That's uh, Shane Steichen is with us. So you're going to the Super Bowl, prepping for that, and this was also going on. Mm-hmm. Was, was there? I mean, I mean, I know you're a dude that you don't get to where you are without being able to process information at a much higher level than everybody else. But was that difficult, or was it just part of? Did it become? I guess. Part part of your routine last week going through this uh it it just became part of the routine you know we had obviously two weeks to prepare for the super bowl so that first week you know we game planned it that week and then you know that weekend leading up you know we left on sunday to go to arizona and you know i interviewed on that saturday before we left and saturday was kind of like you know our mock game walkthrough deal so that saturday evening i got together with all those guys so it was good so shane steichen is with us i mean obviously it didn't come out the way that you wanted but the whole super bowl experience as the offensive coordinator? I mean, did you get a chance to soak any of it up, or was it just completely business from start to finish for you? I mean, a lot of it was business. You know, when you get out there, obviously you got to do all the media stuff the first couple days. And then once you hit Wednesday of the Super Bowl week, you kind of get back into your routine and, you know, have your meetings and your practice and your prep and all those different things. Um, and then obviously the game, you know, the lights are brighter. It was a bigger game. You know, you could feel it there in the locker room uh, leading up to the game and the warm-ups and stuff. But once the game started, you know, guys kind of, you know, settled in and uh, and it became it became a game. Obviously not a normal game, but a game. What do you think? There's nobody that, that clearly wants to win and loves this team more than this team's owner, Jim Irsay. Yeah. What was your initial impression when you met Jim Irsay? Just how passionate he is about this place, uh, and just how much you know he puts into this thing, and how much he loves football and, and wants to win. And uh, I think that's awesome for an owner uh, to have that vision for the team to want to win and do whatever it takes to win. And uh, had great conversation with him. Uh, just a phenomenal person. El Dorado Hills, California. Before I let you go, was where yeah. you played in high school, and you were a high school teammate of Austin Collie, who had some moments around here as yeah. well. No doubt. Did you get any intel? 
from him about what to expect here? Uh, we texted. He just said, uh, you know, I wish you all the best of luck going through the interview process and all that stuff. He actually just texted me a little bit ago. I got to respond to about, I got about another 250 texts. I got to get back to people. I respond to about 100 of them. I got a, another 250 to go. But uh, Austin was a tremendous person in my life growing up. You know, we had a lot of good memories, you know, on the football field and our friendship uh, still goes strong. And when obviously when I was at Louisville, he was here with the Colts. So I got to drive up a few times and hang out with them. So that was cool. Is I there, actually went to the I went to the Super Bowl, the Saint Super Bowl when he played and he got me a ticket out there. So that was the first Super Bowl I ever went to. Really? Yeah. Wow. Well, it, uh, it, it could have ended better. There's no doubt about that. For yeah. here. But uh, wow, the Saints, the Saints Super Bowl you went yeah. to. At, how good was your high school team? With you and Austin Collie, part of we're, it. We're we're pretty good. That uh, that organization, that program they got there. Uh, it's been it's been rolling pretty good. They still got a good squad going. Uh, so it's a good it's a good place. In closing, too, you mentioned in all the thank yous, your high school coach. How, how much do you take with you from that time in your life as a player and now as a first time head coach of the Colts? I mean, I think a lot of that. I think, uh, you know, when you're young, you know, when you're young growing up, you know, you have dreams and visions of certain things, but, you know, there's certain people around you that help you get there. And uh, my high school coach was one of them. And uh, he was always there for me. You know, he taught me the game and he brought me, you know, to clinics when I was playing quarterback for him. And I was his demonstrator, you know, on stages in yeah. front of people about how you take a drop and all those different things. And uh, he was just a tremendous person in my life and uh, still talk to him uh, quite often. That moment in your life, did you think you were going to be a coach? Was that what you wanted to be, or was it that moment that kind of discovered it? Probably my freshman year in college, um, when I went to UNLV. You know, I I just I really enjoyed. I enjoyed playing the game. I love playing the game, but I probably enjoyed the X's and O's part of it more. um, Just being around the coaches and up in the meeting rooms and talking through things and. And I was, you know, I was around a lot of good coaches in college, too. And uh, that kind of shaped me a little bit. And I said, shoot, this could be a pretty good deal. And uh, that's that's the route I went. Well, I, I tell you, just and this is the first time we've ever had a conversation. It, it seems like you're about as laser focused on the task at hand as anybody can be. I'm assuming nobody's really going to outwork you in terms of preparation for anything here. Well, I think that's, you know, that's one of the four pillars that I believe in, the, you know, the separations and the preparation. And we got to be prepared, you know, every day, every day we come into work, you're on a job interview and uh, coaches, players, the whole building's got to be locked in at all times. And we got to have a vision for what this thing needs to look like and carry out that vision every single day and be consistent with our message. Uh, you got about, what, 150 texts to return here. So you better, you better get at it. Um, yeah, I got to figure, I got some other things to do before I respond to the text. But yeah. <laughs> no, hey, by the way, no harm no foul cleveland in the nfl over Terre Haute and indiana state i get it so it's all good man it is hey congratulations uh moving forward the best of luck and i'm sure we'll probably meet up at some point again and have another conversation it's been an absolute pleasure and again congratulations on the gig sounds good i appreciate you guys life is so much more than a diagnosis it's about sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I have so missed our next guest. I mean, so missed him. I am so excited that he is back. The former NFL coach, 
a part of the Colts Radio Network and a fantastic football knowledge. He's just a fountain of friendship when it comes to football and more. Let's welcome back to the show our good friend Rick Venturi. Hello, Rick. What do you say, good friend? How you doing, man? I have missed you so much. <laughs> oh, I know. I miss our Monday nights. I think we really uh, we made magic on Monday nights, but uh, <laughs> yes. it is what it is. And uh, obviously, we got a lot of news this week, and uh, uh, it, it, it's it's kind of exciting in that sense. Honestly, I I felt like that you know uh, you know the season that ended up uh, horrendous uh, and chaotic. Uh, what it did in some ways is that really puts us back now at a real crossroads, I think, in franchise history. And I think it's a chance to, you know, to really reboot it um, and to, in many respects, uh, start over a new coach, new quarterback. Um, you know, it, I think it's it's going to be exciting times, really, after such a downer, you know, in 22. All right, we'll start right here. Shane Steichen is going to join me in the 5 o'clock hour. What did you think after a month plus in a search and a lot of Q&A and a lot of interviewing, what did you think about the hiring of Shane Steichen as the next head coach of this team? Well, I'll be quite frank about it. You know, um, honestly, I really like the hire and uh, I like the process. Again, after the chaos of, of 22, um, the Colts did get their feet on the ground, and they did do the right thing. They went on an extensive search. I can get into that. I, I think it was necessary. Uh, they got some criticism for it. But I just, in modern-day football, you know, because you're not, you're not getting proven commodities, okay? The only proven guy out there, uh, you know, was Sean Payton. He was the only guy that was the confirmed winning football coach. And basically, we have too many holes to give up that kind of draft capital to get into that market. And so basically now what it comes down to is you're looking at all the top assistants in the league. And, you know, uh, basically it's it's always a little bit of a, you know, it's a little bit of a crapshoot because, again, a guy's never been a head coach, but – you know, I think when you're in that situation and you haven't worked with somebody, you just can't vet them enough, John. I mean, you know, everybody comes into an interview with their best makeup on, but if they come into three interviews and they're extensive and they're long, you actually get to the bottom of it. You actually begin to strip off that veneer and figure out who does what, whether you can live with them. Uh, I think that Colts did a good job of creating uh, exercises, really, which is unusual. But I think that's a good thing to see. You know, obviously you can't, uh, uh, you know, you can't basically create a situation that's a game. But what you do is you learn about a guy who thinks quick, who adjusts quick, who shows preparation. And, and that's what this is all about. Now, specifically for the Colts, the reason that I like the hire, and basically Steichen was my choice from very, very early in the process when we started assembling the names he was definitely my pick. And the reason I say that is there are a lot of good candidates out there, but this isn't normal times, and we are not in a normal situation. You know, we have a situation here where our offense is putrid. It went below water. It went underwater. I can give you the stats. You don't need to know them. All you had to do was watch it. And you also, you know, for the third time since 99, 
we're in the lottery, which means that, you know, we're going to have the opportunity to pick uh, the best quarterback possibly in the, in the draft. You know, we've done that three times now with this coming up. And the first two were pretty good, and we better hope that that third one is just as good. But in that sense, my opportunity, and there were a lot of good guys. Like, I really like Raheem Morris. I know him. But in my opinion, we needed, in modern-day ball, we needed a guy who was, A, an offensive designer, uh, B, a play caller, and, three, a quarterback whisperer. And that doesn't mean that he will micromanage every one of those things. But in the end, he has to know exactly which buttons to push because where we go forward from here, and I'll talk about the defense. I don't think our defense should get a pass. I think they've got a long way to go. But offensively, we need someone to come in that has those credentials. And, you know, my my one, two, three, four, you know, was always Steichen, Kafka, uh, Callahan, and basically if you were going to go off the reservation, which I would never have done, it would have been Raheem Morris because he's head coach material and he's smart and he's charismatic. But the guy who fits all the bills, you know, uh, basically is Steichen. You know, he's, you know, and you kind of, you know, you kind of saw it in the press conferences. What I like, I, I don't want a comedian. I don't want a guy that's going to talk about faith-driven and all that. You know, I number one for nineteen twenty for two thousand twenty three, he has an impeccable resume. We see who he's worked with at quarterback, from you know a stationary quarterback like Rivers, you know, to the kid Herbert from San Diego, rookie of the year with him. You know, to Jalen Hurts now, three very very opposite quarterbacks that he has been able to adjust to and max talents. You know, that's cool. The the, the resume is there. You know, when you listen to him, it's all football. It's not about the rest of that crap. I don't want to hear about the rest of that crap. I want a tremendous X and O guy coming in here, state-of-the-art X and O guy that can adapt to a, to the college game as well as the pro game if that's the kind of guy you get. And then what I liked about him, because I don't know him personally, I know him by reputation, is I thought he was serious and forceful. I, I thought he was really forceful. He was not, not out to win the press conference. He's just very straightforward. And when he talks about football, it's really all business. So I think this is the best possible outcome uh, for the Colts in 223. I think you got a hat trick of ability, the three big things that you really need. And, and I think that's critical. And like I said, he, he won't necessarily micromanage every one of those spots, but he will be on top of everyone and be able to push the right buttons. The most critical hire for him now, assuming that maybe he keeps the defensive staff because of the familiarity, certainly you want to keep Bubba. um, But the biggest hire for him, the most critical hire, will be the offensive line coach because that's the guy that will mesh with him on the other areas, and then he fills in as he goes. So, again, I think, again, this was the best possible outcome. You know, whether or not he's going to be a a great head coach, nobody knows. I mean, but, you know, what you hope that you have here is that you made the decision based on tremendous amount of facts and vetting and that you come up with the next Zach Taylor. That's what you hope. And, uh, you know, we we won't know. We won't know until you become a head coach because every job, I've held them all. I'm a position coach 
coordinator, head coach. They all have their similar skills, but in many ways they're very, very separate skills. So it's important. The other thing, just as a sidebar, the other reason I really like the vetting and the long process, I don't think you can vet enough, is that it also gave them the opportunity to bring in tremendous minds, the best coordinators, the best special teams guys, best guys, and what you do is you pick their brain. You not only interview them, you pick their brain. For instance, you bring in a guy like Wink Martindale, who's 100% opposite to our defensive thinking, and you get his ideas on how they do it and why they do it. Belichick was always a master of that when we had an opening. You know, he'd, he'd interview 20 guys knowing very well who he was going to hire, but we wanted to pick their brain. So, you know, I think, like I said, after – Uh, You know, disastrous 22. Uh, I do think we got our feet on the ground. Um, I think Chris did a really good job of running this one, of uh, of presenting it. And and I think we came out with the best possible uh, outcome. It is the return of Rick Venturi on the Eddie Moore Automotive Group Potline, the former NFL coach and, of course, the analyst on the Colts Radio Network. Joins us for a breakdown of the new head coach, the coaching hire, and other things surrounding what is going to be a crucial offseason for this team. I, I want to add to this something Kevin Bowen and I talked about a little bit earlier, something that I brought up yesterday as well. When asked, Shane Steichen said he's going to call his own plays. Now, the reason why I bring this up, okay, he's an offensive guy, so you would expect him to want to call his own plays. But while in Philly, Nick Sirianni in year number one, I think in November of year number one, realized that maybe he had too much on his table and then relented that play calling that he had offensively to Shane Steichen. And then, of course, you saw certainly what happened this year. They took off. Is that too much, in your opinion, on his plate to start? Should he relegate that authority to somebody as an offensive coordinator? No, I don't think so. I I think it's really important that he does come in and call the plays. I think there was a little bit of difference. Sirianni did not call the plays here as an offensive coordinator. Uh, Nick Sirianni, as good a coach as he is, and I love him, and I don't think Frank ever was able to replace him sufficiently, never called the plays. He was not really a play caller. So when he got into it, it was a pretty big task. Now, Shane has called the plays, and he's called the plays in big games. I would have been very disappointed if he didn't. Now, what he has to do, John, is make sure that he has – people, person, whatever, during the game, more importantly than any other time, to make sure he's on top of game management because, you know, that's a big thing for a head coach, what's coming up, what's not. And sometimes when you're in the minutia of play calling, that can get away from you. But, you know, Bill Walsh did it, won a lot. John Gruden did it, won a lot. I mean, you know, you know, Andy Reid does it, really. He calls all the plays. So, you know, it, it's very, very possible now. Again, you always have to surround yourself with people <clears throat> that will compliment you. And in his case, I think it will be more in-game management. The rest of it is programmed during the week. It's the in-game management that he's going to make sure somebody is always on top of for him. It's, uh, Rick Venturi joins us. I want to go back to the whole decision-making process. Um, there were some things that popped during the course of that season. And you can remember Jim Irsay, when he brought in Jeff Saturday, you know, obviously he felt compelled believing that he he could be the longer-term coach, which he isn't. Um, He also wanted some intel from what was going on 
in the locker room with his team. Now, granted, I've said I didn't know why you couldn't get that from guys already on the payroll to do that uh, with their feet on the ground here, but he trusted Jeff Saturday and got some of that. And and some of the things that you hear were, were a little bit lax, especially with the way that the program was going before the transition from Frank Reich to Jeff Saturday, which it had me thinking, Rick, would that have been any reason whatsoever? And I get what you're saying, man. The offense, you got to go with the offense. You got to score points. That is where this NFL is right now. But is there part of you that wonders how a first-time head coach may handle some things if that locker room wasn't great with some of those reports we heard this past year? Well, yeah, there, there, there's no question. But that is, that, that's going to be a factor. That kind of goes back to my initial premise that there are no proven commodities out there. So it, it's a little bit like when you draft, John, if you have prospects that are all equal, let's say that you're coaching, you know, your coaching prospects are all equal, then, then in that case, you always have to go with your need. And our first need, and I, I think we have defensive needs. I think, you know, that has to be addressed with Bradley if he stays, and we can get into that. But the initial need here is to take an offense that's absolutely putrid and turn it around. Now, as far as the laxity, you know, that's been talked about a lot. I, you know, I don't know. I don't think any of us knows. Uh, I think the intel thing is overrated, if that was a factor. I think it's really overrated. I mean, I know that Ballard is very close to everything that goes on, even from a coaching standpoint. I, I don't think many things were there. You know, I, I think basically that what Jim wanted, I think what he wanted at that point in time, he felt like that Frank, I, I, I can't speak for him, but my perception is that he felt like Frank's message was tired, that it was no longer being heard. If that's laxity, it's laxity. I don't know. Um, and what he really wanted with Saturday was like a set of jumper cables. He He, he wanted somebody... He didn't, he didn't hire a scientist. I mean, he didn't hire a guy that was going to come in here and be a football guy. He was hoping that this, quote, leader of men and linked to the early 2000s would come in and be a spark emotionally. But, you know, in the end, the head coach has to be more than a cheerleader. And in that sense, really, if anything, it really got worse. I mean, the last five weeks is as bad a football is you've seen here in decades, but uh, you know I, I you know I really don't know. I mean I I've heard the story, I've heard the laxity and all that. Yeah. I think that I think that what in my opinion what happened is it all started after the Christmas Day of uh, of twenty one when we were nine and six after the big win in Arizona on Christmas night, and then to lose at home to the Raiders and then just the absolute embarrassment and knock ourselves out of the playoffs. Um, you know, at Jacksonville, I think the Carson Wentz meltdown was all of a sudden that was the guy that Frank wanted. And then to come out this season and tie Houston, lose to Jacksonville, not just lose, get destroyed by Jacksonville, you know, get swept by Tennessee, you know, and then the really the, the disaster Custer's last stand was uh, in New England. And I think at that point that Jim had just, in that sense, because, you know, he's really never, over the years, he's never really injected himself in like that. And I, I felt like he just, you know, that was it. He couldn't take it any longer, and that was it. 
So Rick Venturi from the Radio Network, the former NFL coach with us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Highline. We certainly have have missed his input. And you mentioned Gus Bradley and the defense. And when the defense, Rick, is brought up oftentimes, it's, well, they didn't deserve a lot of what they got, which in terms of, I guess, describing that, some people would figure, hey, everything is okay. You bring back Gus Bradley, everything's going to be all right. How do you view the defense and also your thoughts on whether or not you believe Gus Bradley is going to reemerge with Shane Steichen as his defensive coordinator? Well, my, my gut feeling is, yes, he will reemerge. I mean, they all, the whole staff, uh, Gus's crew, Gus's clan, all worked with Steichen in San Diego. So they are, you know, if, if, he, if they're not retained, <laughs> It'll be a real message out there, to be honest with you, because they all work together at San Diego. This is kind of a natural fit. You know, I, I think, you know, in my opinion, there's no question that Gus brings certain things to the table. You know, he he is a guy that leads the defense well. He has a lot of juice. He has a, you know, kind of a hard-spun charisma about him. He has a system. But personally, I think they've gotten a real pass, to be honest with you. And they've gotten a pass because the offense was so putrid that basically nobody even wanted to talk about the defense. But, you know, I think if Bradley stays, to me, if I were the head coach or GM, there would be certain mandates put on him that he's going to have to really improve this because, you know, in the end, there were several games, seven at least, that all we needed as bad as the offense was, John, as bad as it was, all we needed was one stop in the fourth quarter to get that done, and we could never do it. You know, at the end of the year, we were 32nd in the red zone. In the fourth quarter on defense, we were 31st, okay? Takeaways way, way down from the year before when we were first in the league. Opponents passer rating, number 30 opponents pass percentage against 31. So those are the reasons. Those are critical statistics, a lot of which people don't talk about. But those are the statistics when you study them over the years. They determine playoff teams from not playoff teams. And those things, particularly those fourth quarter meltdowns, have to be addressed. And I think they have to be addressed in this way. I think number one, there has to be a lot more versatility both in the fronts and in the coverage. I think we're basically a vanilla over team, and that's what happens. In the fourth quarter, everybody has your rhythm. They know what you're doing, and if you're never changing it up, if you're never changing up your front, never changing up your coverage very much, you're going to get caught up with. Simplicity does not win in the National Football League. Number two, I think we need – much more sound rush plans against quarterbacks. I don't think that we do a good job from week to week in defending a quarterback. I still remember, you know, the third down in the red zone, you know, against Jalen Hurts. Uh, when they ran a quarterback drawn, for God's sakes, he could have run to Noblesville. I mean, I, I mean that just can't happen to you. Uh, the blitz percentage has to really go way up. And then I think the other thing is there's got to be more – I, I would say game specifics where we take away a player that, you know, can beat us going in. So, you know, I think the defense also has a lot of work to be done 
you know, and I think that starts with coaching. Now, I, do I do I like Gus? Yes. And do I think he can do that? Yes. But I, I, I tell you what, anything less, you know, again, and, and we'll still have problems. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, he is finally back. There's no better way to jump into 2023 officially than having a lengthy conversation with our friend Rick Venturi from the Radio Network. The former NFL coach is with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. What type of offensive coordinator does Shane Steichen need, you think, moving forward here in year one? Well, he, he's going to have somebody that is going to be critical uh, you know, to him to be able to bounce ideas, to be able to handle meetings when he's involved in head coaching deals. He may, in fact, uh, which a lot of guys do in his position, he may, in fact, to get a top offensive line coach and to pay him. He may have to give that guy the title of offensive coordinators. A guy like Steichen, that is not a bad idea. Um, but in that case, I think this is definitely going to be Steichen driven. And I think the reason that I really, I really like him, I think there's diversity in his thinking. He's been able to coach with different types of quarterbacks. I think that we're looking at, you know, the, the guy that can play the NCAA game and the NFL game. And I think with Jalen Hurts, they have done the best job of anyone in the league of combining that, of playing NFL football, but integrating the collegiate game, because that's the kind of kid that you're going to get coming out. That's the new breed. I see it in 11-year-old football. I really do. That's what you're going to get. You're going to get that guy. And the coaches that can successfully, uh, you know, do that are the guys that are going to be successful. And yet he's coached with Phillip Rivers. And so if for some reason he had maybe play a backup or something else develops, he obviously knows how to deliver, you know, with a classic game. So I think you're getting a very intelligent guy who is very, very adjustable. I think they've been very adjustable at Philadelphia. You know, I think what they've done with Jalen Hurts really has been magnificent. I mean, he's a guy that was, whether people want to believe it or not, a second-round pick uh, who has come out, who has improved in every aspect of his game, his drop-back game is outstanding now. It once wasn't. His option football is tremendous. So I think what I like about Steichen is I think he has experience from various type of quarterbacks. I think he's mentally flexible, and I think he will be able to adapt to whichever you know, however we end up after this draft and free agency. It's uh, Rick Venturi. I want to talk about that with you just to a lighter degree because we don't know a lot right now. We're just speculating, which I'm really good at. You like to be uh, a little bit more on target than me. I speculate a great deal. Uh, Rick is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. With that in mind, so six years of Chris Ballard, that's accumulated one playoff win, no division titles, and you know, the past couple of years, a great deal of disappointment. He's going into year number seven. Uh, that aside, that's that's going to happen for sure. And he had mentioned yesterday that he liked Shane Steichen because they see the same thing. Now, I'm curious, what do you think that is? And will I think Chris Ballard recalibrates what he envisions in a football team from understanding and not getting the results of the prior six years here. 
First of all, I have I don't have idea what that means. I, I mean, <laughs> I'm just curious. He sees I, what I see. I, th- I think that's a press release. To be honest with you, of course you're going to be on the same page. You just hired the guy for God's sakes. You know what, what do we expect? So you know, like I said, I have no idea what that means. I don't I don't know how you get that in a third interview, but you know we'll see as we go on. The thing that he has to do more important than anything else is that he has to get a franchise quarterback and a guy that you can win with. That's the way to go. It's it's the proven way. And in my opinion, this is my opinion, I, I, I did. I, I think I mentioned to you, I spent all day yesterday with John Gruden at Gruden Enterprises yesterday in Tampa, and we studied the NFL, the, all the draft picks, all the top like six to eight quarterbacks that are coming out in the draft. And in my opinion, in my opinion, and I don't think this is any time for conservatism. I don't even like the joke of trading back, to be honest with you. I don't even like the quip. I think that we have to get to one. I really believe that we have to get to number one. And this is Rick Venturi's opinion. It's not, it's not anybody else. It's mine after extensive study. I think you got to move up and get Bryce Young. He is a playmaker. He's a difference maker. I don't care what his size is. He is special. He is a cut above. I think he's a guy that you can win with and build around with a good offensive mind. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But I don't think if you don't get to one, I don't think you'll get him because if you don't get to one, somebody else is going to get to one. Houston's at two. So you, if you were to stay, for instance, at four, you may, you may very well be looking at number three and number four. And I can talk about those guys too. But if you want the game changer, okay, and, you know, we hit twice. Colts have been very fortunate. You know, they hit on Manning. They're, that was pretty much a sure thing. Luck was a sure thing. You know, there was, there was actually degrees of discussion on Manning and Ryan Leaf, if you want to know the truth. Oh, yeah. Totally forgotten, but – there was discussion within the league. I I can remember people arguing the other way. But, you know, luck was considered generational coming out. And the fact that the Colts had the one draft pick without being a bad franchise, they just had a bad year. When Peyton got hurt, they just had a bad year, a terrible year. But the, as luck would have it, Andrew Luck was sitting there. And so a really good franchise got the number one pick in the draft. And if he doesn't, you know, if he doesn't bail on us, we probably have 20-plus years, you know, of great football here with the Colts. So, again, we're not hopefully going to be in the lottery again, you know, and if you're not in the lottery, it's very difficult to get that top guy. And hopefully, after we fix some of the things here, we won't be there again. We haven't been there very – like I said, we've only been there three times since 99. And so, to me, you have to hit on this. You have to make this good. And it's not, a, and, you know, and the other thing that I've learned, here's what I've learned. And I would say this, I say this to Chris, I do say it to him, is what I've learned over the years. And really, since I've been broadcasting, it's even more apparent sometimes than when you're on the inside and you're so busy with minutia is really most rosters, if you want to know the truth, are really not that different. The salary cap in the NFL creates equality along the line of rosters, okay? Your, your 35th guy is not a hell of a lot of different than my 35, 35th. The difference is your top 10 guys on your roster. That's what makes or breaks you. And you must have a quarterback that's a game changer 
in the midst of all that. All you got to do is look at Kansas City and Philadelphia. You take those two guys off the team, it's a whole different ballgame. Those are two guys that totally win the game for you, and they're surrounded by skill guys. And, you know, a guy told me in my first year in coaching in the NFL in 1982, old personnel guy, Freddie Schubach, who had been shoeless guy, he said to me, Rick, he said, let me just tell you one thing. When you draft high, you build your team, you draft guys that can knock the quarterback down and guys that put the ball in the end zone. And I, and I believe that to this day, and that's why I'm more of an outside-in guy than an inside-out guy. I, I think you can make do in a lot of positions, but I think the guys that change the games are the rushers, the edge rushers, and I think the guys that change the game are the quarterbacks and your perimeter explosive receivers, game after game after game. And so, you know, I think we have to look at the game that way. Uh, you know, we've loaded up on linemen. And, you know, to me, that, that that's really hard to do. I mean, when you when you overpay offensive guards and things like that i mean then you're gonna you're gonna cut it short on the perimeter where you really need people to win the game so rick venturi with us you said that the colts must get the number one and you like bryce young um and there are gonna be other teams trying to do the same thing here um there's this is gonna be let's just say for example they don't and and they have to select at number four. And again, you would think Young comes off the board, and then ultimately Stroud comes off the board. If they stay at number four, and you mentioned some other quarterbacks, whether it's Levis or Richardson, yeah, uh, some yeah. qualities, thumbs up or thumbs down about either two of those. Well, I'll, I'll be honest with you, and, and again, I'll give you my opinion. And and the one thing that I couldn't make the decision yet, the, the one thing that I would have to do, and the Colts will certainly do this, is I would have to vet these guys just like you vetted the uh, coaches. I mean, you've got to take them through the uh, football IQ test, football character, leadership. I mean, you've got to spend all kinds of times with these guys and because they're in every one of the next three guys, there's things you like and there's things you're not sure of. And, you know, obviously football character, football intelligence. I mean, when you when you look at Mahomes and Hurts, you're talking about great football intellects. Joe Burrow, too. I mean, great football intellects, leadership qualities, great presence, team guys. I mean, you know, you, you've got to have that. Now, I know, even though he's small, I know that Bryce Young has that. I know his pedigree. I know where he comes from. I know that. Now, you'll vet him, but I know he has that. Now, when we go beyond that, two, three, four, and it would have been five if Hooker doesn't get hurt. If Hooker doesn't get hurt at Tennessee, he is in the mix here. And I think that it's very difficult to choose between two, three, and four. Um, I think Stroud basically is the media consensus guy, but I'm not sure that's true in my world. I mean, we look at guys, we look at Levis. Now, Levis is a tremendous talent. If you look at seven plays out of ten, you can make a highlight film and you can say that guy can do everything, and he's a good athlete. Now, you take three plays and you say, why did he do that? You know, a little bit of Carson Wentz, kind of that, you know, very, very good, and then a play that you just scratch your head. Uh, you look at Richardson of Florida. He's one of the most fantastic talents. He has the toolbox that really none of them have, but he's only started 11 games. I think you're going to have to do a lot of vetting on him. You know, he may not be ready, but this is a guy with 
tremendous athleticism, tremendous uh, quick release gun. And then you have Stroud, who is very good at everything. I don't think, personally, I don't see the wow in him that I see in Bryce Young, but very, very accomplished. You know, like Young, they both driven Cadillacs. Uh, both driven Cadillacs or driven Mercedes. You know, the other two guys, Levis and, um, you know, uh, Levis and Richardson, they've, dri- they've driven my Escape. Escape's a good car. I got two of them, but that, they're not Mercedes. And so, I mean, they, they have all that going. But I, I think the choice two, three, four is going to be very, very interesting, and it's going to take a lot of vetting because every one of them has a skill set that you like, and every, everybody has holes in their game. You mentioned you didn't even like when Chris Ballard joked about moving back, trading down at all in this scenario. Well, I, I'm not a I'm not a trade down guy, and my and my whole focus is get to one and get Bryce Young, get the guy that's the best. I mean, and again, people can argue with me, and that's fine. I'm, I'm I you have me on the show, I have my hour here, so you know. I just, <laughs> this, this is no, what, this no, I love that's why I have you here because I mean, is, regardless of is, agree or disagree from the people out there, my feel. this my is feel yeah, right. Is uh, if I'm going to get a guy that I want to base my franchise on and reboot this thing, I'm going to go get Bryce Young. I am. But I'm, I don't believe I can get them unless I get to number one. It's really that simple. Because if we don't get to number one, somebody else will get to number one. Now, we are an ideal, an ideal trade partner for the Bears from their standpoint because sitting at four, they only have to move back a couple spots. And at four, they will still get, uh, you know, an Anderson, a Carter, a left half. I mean, they, they can still at four – get a franchise player, a game-changing player defensively and still get a haul from us uh, because that's just the way it is. I mean, that's the way it is. They're going to hold you up. I mean, you're going to have to make the commitment. But, again, we're not going to be in the lottery, I don't think, anymore. You're in the lottery now, so you have to make the best of it. If it takes investment and draft capital, it has to be now because if you don't do it, you can go decades without a top guy, and you can keep the revolving door like we have in the last five years, which I think has led to disaster. Let's get Rick Venturi back on here via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Kind enough to join us first time in 2023 and giving you a recap of the season and then looking into the offseason here. So year seven, we're going into, Rick, with Chris Ballard. And clearly the results have not at all been there. Very fortunate to get year number seven, I'm assuming, uh, moving forward here. How much of an adjustment does he need to make as far as what he believes building-wise nets a great team? Well, I think he has to make an adjustment. I don't think there's any question about it. And I think this is the – as I said said earlier, this this is a crossroads here in the franchise. Where do we go from here? Now the the six years is a combination of many things. There's no there's no question that there are construction issues. How the team is constructed, there you know that's a part of it. We've had a lot of coaching turnover at the assistant level. You know we haven't really had you know have, haven't really had the uh, continuity that you'd like uh, throughout top to bottom. Uh, and then I, I also think that. 
if if you're going to make if you're going to look at what we've lacked i think the quarterback uh the quarterback caravan year after year the switching and that's not been all on Ballard. that the problem initially when when luck left was that we were always just good enough to believe we could patch it we were never we didn't hit bottom like we have now we were always good enough and then the two things that really blew up on us and and I can't blame it all on that because I think a lot of us felt like we would be all right in both decisions is the Carson Wentz decision and then the Matt Ryan decision. I mean, those are two of the most disappointing results of my career that I've ever seen. And obviously in the most important position on the team, I think also lack of explosive receivers i mean you know philadelphia needed to they needed to give jalen hurts one more weapon with smith and goddard they went out and got aj brown and it was all the difference in the world you know kansas city they you know they lost uh, Tariq Hill. they went out and got valdez scanling and juju and then they got tony and then they drafted sky Moore. i mean you know, they got explosive players everywhere, and that's the difference. We have lacked explosive players with the exception of a great running back. We lack explosive, game-changing players on the perimeter offensively. And even though he's made draft selections, at this point, we have not got what else you need, which is that dominating edge rusher who changes the game, that ambient guy who absolutely disrupts the game. And so if there's going to be a change, it has to be in those areas. It starts at quarterback, explosiveness on offense, and game-changing defenders, starting with the rushers. And for me, corners next. But rushers, the game-changing rushers, you see it week after week after week. Those are the guys that win and lose the game. Then Gakwe is a free agent. Would you even at all consider bringing him back? I would consider it, but only for the right price. I like Ngakwe. Ngakwe is a work ethic guy. He plays really hard. He is going to get you that eight to ten, but it's almost like a quiet eight to ten. I, I just, I never feel like he is dominating the game. You know, like a Riddick. I, I never feel like that. You know, he's dominating the game like a Frank Clark. I, I just, I, I, I like him. I like everything about him but I would never pay him like a dominant player. I'm assuming you noticed this yesterday when Shane Steichen read off that laundry list of of folks that he has coached in thanking them, given the fact he's taken over here in India as the head coach. Most of them, I was going to say like 85 or 90% were skill position players, elite level skill position players. I, I thought it's probably not a message, but I think it's a good message to understand what helps get you there and then what wins where we are in the NFL right now. I'm going to go back to Fred Schubach's comment to me when I was a rookie coach. You know, that's that's literally 41 years ago in the NFL. And he said, when you draft Rick, get guys that knock the quarterback down and guys that put the ball in the end zone. Okay. And then you can do good with everybody else. And I, you know, that has stuck with me forever and ever and ever, you know, and when I see the quality team, when I see Cincinnati, you know, look at their three receivers. I mean, look at their three receivers, you know, with Chase and Boyd and, and Higgins. I mean, all these teams and they have good quarterbacks, but they surrounded them also with perimeter players that can play. 
I mentioned this because there's a rumor out there. With Chicago at number one, you're going to get a lot of these rumors. And and we do know this, that, that Chris Ballard years ago did have interest in Justin Fields in that draft. He, he had interest. Oh I'm just I'm just curious. <laughs> that has been dropped out there. Would you at all consider a possibility of trading for a Fields and you know, giving Chicago freedom to do whatever they wanted to do with that number one at all? Again, Having this, number this, one this, and number four. Again, this is untilted, Rick Fitzgerald. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah. It, um, is Bryce Young or Bust for you right now, it seems? Well, I'm not saying it's Bryce Young or Bust, because don't get me wrong. I like two, three, and four. I, I, don't, I don't think there's any question. I like two, three, and four. They all have tremendous strengths, and they all have things that bother me. Uh, what I would say is, when I was in coaching, when we, the way we separated players – we would always say player A and then a line and then player B. Uh, and then player B, C, and D may be in the same box, which, which I think is true in two, three, four, and it would have been Hooker if he was five, but he's out of it. I think Bryce Young stands alone because, you know, when you look the other day, I mean, what did, what did, what did you know, what, what did Steichen? I, I, I like when he said this. He said, all right, here's what I like in a quarterback. Accuracy, decision-making, and create uh, the ability to create along with a relentless work ethic to prepare. Okay, who does that more than anybody? <laughs> it's Bryce Young. I mean, it, and to me, it's a double line between him and the rest of them. So if I'm, if I'm sitting in the lottery for the third time since 1999 – I am going to make it count. I'm not settling for two. Don't get me wrong. I think there's a lot. I think two has a lot. Three has a lot. Four has a lot. But one has the most. And and I'm I'm playing blackjack. I'm going to I'm going for blackjack here. I I'm sitting there. If it's poker, there, you know, I'm I'm sitting there with two of a kind, two of a kind, and I'm drawing on I'm drawing on a full house. I, I don't. Yeah. You know, I, I do not want to settle for two of a kind. Maybe an established defensive player, somebody that uh, Matt Eberflus liked when he was here. Um, who knows? I have, well, I so, think I as think well. That's why, yeah. that's why I think, John, that the that I think Chicago is a good trade partner in all senses. We're good for them. They're good for us. He knows our roster. If he wants, let's say he wants to flip, take our one next year, and then a player. You know, then that that's the way it's going to be because he knows our off. Our, and you know what? I I'm not, I'm not afraid to make that deal. So Rick Venturi, he's back. 2023. It's been a while. It really has. It took us a bit to get to this point where the Colts hire somebody and we can talk about it. But man, it is great to have you back. I hope the off season so far has has been a treat for you. Well, you know, I look out of my bay window to the left yeah. and I see the sunrise in the morning. I look out just as we're, I'm doing right now talking to you. I look right out on the Gulf of Mexico and Miss Sherry and I over a couple of glasses of grape juice at night. We watch the sunset right nice. over the Gulf of Mexico. So I have to say this is uh, we got down here quickly this year and it's it's really been good. I really needed to decompress after that season. Sure. <laughs> and I found out decompressing down here in the 78 degree weather is very, very easy. It's yes. Not a hard yeah, deal. it is. Well, not a bad day here in <laughs> central Indiana either, to be honest with you, I, up I in the know. 60s. So, yeah. I, stay, I stay up with it. I stay up with it every day and I, 
Yeah, and like I said, I I, I love Indianapolis, but I, I guarantee you in February, man, it, it's it's hard it's hard to beat South Florida in, in February. I understand. It's great to hear from you. Best of the family. Stay in touch, and uh, we'll do it again maybe prior to the draft or after the draft or whatever whenever you can. Yeah. All right, man. You're the, you're the only guy that could have got me off the beach today. I love that. I love that. Right. Thank you, Rick. All right, Donnie. I'll talk to you. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Potline, normally in the 5 o'clock hour, as I've mentioned, but 310 today for the morning show co-host, along with Jake Query, Kevin Bowen, again, joins us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline from Kevin and Query, weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. here on The Fan. All right, they call it trolling now. We used to call it messing with, screwing around with, whatever. I'm assuming the Lincoln Park Zoo on a Bear photo and the tweet from Jim Irsay was that to mess with the fan base? <laughs> uh, it certainly made me chuckle. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I would assume that's what it is. I think at the time, I don't think he understood the Bryce Young comment yesterday and how much that would blow up. You know, anytime you talk, anytime you're an owner of a football team and you talk about a draft prospect when you're drafting four overall obviously going to make a lot of noise. Again, I don't think Ursay realized what he was doing when he said that yesterday. And so I think, honestly, he's kind of looked back on it, been like, all right, you know, how can I play this game for the next two months? So I, I purely think, unlike yesterday, which I think it was Ursay's own opinion, I think the tweet today, of course, is, you know, peak trolling and and really what, what, what Twitter's all about. Yeah, is it? Is it trolling or is it to to try to make up for maybe getting some time to think about yesterday and saying, yeah, yeah, maybe that wasn't the best idea. Maybe Now we, we got to try to make it a little bit more even. Is that trying to even the playing surface out here a little bit? I, yes, I think it is attempted humor, which yesterday was not an attempted humor. Yesterday was flippage. You know, he, he did not mean to say that. I mean, I, I'm <laughs> well, he back. meant to he meant to say it, but he just sure. yeah yeah he he meant to say no doubt he meant to say it, but it wasn't it wasn't advisable. And you're right about that. You know, maybe one of our friends in the TV business here that was filming the press conference yesterday has a better shot of it. I went back and watched the press conference looking for all three of their reactions. Because obviously I'm not video recording the presser as it's happening, but I obviously can see Shane Steichen and Chris Bauer's reaction. And when Ursay said that, Steichen looked like he wanted to be anywhere but in that room. And Ballard, you know, immediately I think took a swig of the water, which he's prone to do when when he doesn't love a question. That's or when that's his know. tell. That is exactly that's like Teddy KGB and Rounders eating Oreos, man. Seriously, <laughs> the water and the unscrewing, the screwing with the cap is the tell right there. You're right yeah. about it. Yes. Yeah, they could get a good, if he was a college athlete, he'd get a good little college NIL deal going on the water <laughs> with Ballard. But it, I, I would love to just screen grab Dykin and Ballard's reaction when Ursay said that. 
Um, I do think it's worth mentioning, and I know you know this, John, but literally Chris Ballard's biggest goal for the next two months will be to make sure that nothing, nothing of their real quarterback belief gets out of that building and to send out smoke screen after smoke screen after smoke screen. You and I talked last week about it. Yeah. I'll never forget when Ballard took the job and Ursay sends a you know, memo to the entire company about loose lips sink ships and football teams as well. And when it comes to the quarterback drafting, there is no decision. I'd argue there's no decision organization has that's bigger and wanting to keep that internal than that one. Make sure you don't tell anybody where the fourth string wide receiver might be or it's going to be your ass. <laughs> <laughs> certainly, certainly some repercussions on that end, right? <laughs> I still laugh about that because that was so monumentally stupid. It just it's it's funny, especially now where you are doing a great job and how just stupid that was. You got to look in the mirror if you're him and go, God, that was stupid. Seriously, that was so stupid. And uh, Kamar Aiken had a big-time impact here. <laughs> There's no doubt. There's no doubt about that. So, yeah, it's uh, Kevin Bowen with us from the morning show on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. You know, and, and again, they did a hell of a job of keeping things tight during this coaching search. I mean, a hell of a job because we talked about this as well. Last time out, especially when, when Josh McDaniels bailed at the last possible moment, I, I mean, there were leaks coming everywhere. This is like the Titanic around here back then. I mean, it was just complete leakage uh, because everybody was talking because then that's when the owner kind of took over and said, I'm going to handle this now because he was embarrassed. And this one, nobody said really anything. I, I thought that was the most impressive part of how I think this group handled this coaching search over the better part of a month here. Yeah, and I think when you look at you know Carolina and Denver, for example, the hiring of Frank Reich and Sean Payton in those spots, you know what you saw in both of those situations, Carolina announced the Reich hire, and then I want to say it was three or four days later he has the press conference. Very similar time frame for Sean Payton. Announced the hire a few days later, press conference. James Steichen was announced head coach at what, 9.15 yesterday morning, press conference three hours later. Like they wanted to make sure to the nth degree that they waited until he got in that building with his family there, officially signed the contract before they made any announcement. They, they wouldn't really confirm anything, and not to get like too into the weeds of you know how that process works. But you know, typically, once a Schefter or a Rappaport, once he's bigger or hell, I mean, even a you know a Chap has certainly broken stories here. Even when a Mike Chapel breaks a story. You know, if you contact the Colts and ask them for confirmation, they will usually say that. They weren't even sniffing that. So, um, yeah, even though they probably came to this decision, you know, a week ago Saturday when they were in Philadelphia meeting with Shane Steichen, Friday was Jim Irsay, Saturday Chris Bauer and company, even though, you know, Steichen rose to number one on their board at that point, and it was probably known by those powers that be that he would be the guy there. They weren't going to you know, go anywhere near that until yesterday. So Kevin Bowen joins us. I want to double back to the Chris Ballard tell, double back to the Jim Irsay comment yesterday and then the trolling today because I was on a station in Buffalo this morning and, and they were talking about Justin Fields. And I had not read the Lock and Fora thing, the tweet about the Senior Bowl and – 
NFL general managers convinced that Justin Fields is um, on the trading block and maybe what the Bears would want to part with because the Bears want to go a different direction to quarterback. All right, who knows if that's true or not. But anyway, if there was one piece of information that has really leaked out of interest before, you and I both know this because we've talked about it a ton, it was the interest that Chris Ballard back in the day had when Justin Fields was coming out of Ohio State as a collegiate quarterback transitioning to the NFL. Is there anything to see here, or is this something maybe we double back and check on this rumor in a month or two? I guess let's start here. Before we get into the Colts' interest in Fields, and they had very real interest in him a couple of years ago, you've got to start with the report. Jason Lock and Forrest, you know, swing and hit rate at reports. Um, yep. A little I've, bit like your jumper. I've explained this. Yes. I've certainly explained yeah. that recently. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Not to take a jab at your jumper, but just to give everybody a bit of an analogy there. Um, so I think it's smart to start there. I think it's also worth pointing out if it's smokescreen time in Indy, it's smokescreen time everywhere around the NFL. And Chicago is the ultimate one because they can dangle the number one overall pick with the QB needing team at two in Houston and then a team in their own division, you know, two spots later in Indianapolis at four. So I think it's just, we, we probably should preface with all of that. As far as the Colts interest, yes, there was again, real interest in fields a couple of years ago. I, I don't know if I have the numbers correct, but didn't he fall to like, was it 10 or 12 yeah. in that draft? I'm trying to think. Wait, we thought, exactly we, we thought you and I talked about it, a couple of different times. And I think we drew the conclusion that before the draft, they were just not going to be in the neighborhood of having a possibility. And as it, as it turned out that he fell to a point where maybe I think they, they could have reasonably got to correct. Yes. So they took Quiddy pay, right. In that draft. Yes. I think that was the same draft with pay. And that was at whatever 21 had they known fields, was going to fall to that extent, I think it would have been very hard for Chris Ballard not to trade up. Um, I think he liked Fields that much. Obviously saw him a lot just from a general Midwest Big Ten scouting standpoint throughout the season. If you recall in the college football semifinal, he was hurt and, and you know showed an incredible amount of toughness and and how he very – a bit like C.J. Stroud. I know not the exact same type of performance, but – you know, similar sort of impression that he had. So I do think had the Colts had a magic eight ball and known that, you know, fields would have dropped as far as he did, that the Colts would have had a real decision to make and Ballard in particular, which I think it's important to reiterate that it's not like Frank Reich was an amber with fields. And now Frank Reich is no longer here. This was a lot of Chris Ballard. Um, so if that is true, which again, I, I, I hesitate a bit to go there. That is a discussion you would have to have internally if you're the Colts. See, you bring up, and again, we're all just taking swings at air right here, and I, I get it. But when you bring up smoke screens, and you're absolutely right. I mean, it starts now, and it's going to happen ad nauseum until we get into the spring and that point when the draft occurs. But if you're the Bears – there may be some smoke screens you want to send out there. I don't know if one involves dangling your present quarterback, though, especially if you have, Kev, the real intention of keeping him and building around him. I guess that's where I would wonder where that is right now. Why, If you're the Bears, would you want that if you do have the overall intention 
of keeping him long term? Yeah, that's a really good point that you bring up. Um, yeah, that, that that is a really good point because you would obviously worried about you know kind of the the you know fragile nature to him. Um, so yeah, I, I do think that is something that's worth bringing up. And who knows, maybe at some point Ryan Poles and company literally you know said to Justin Fields, "Hey, Justin, just FYI, we're going to dangle you out in, in in these trade rumors, and we feel like it could what, net us a little bit more in return for you, but don't think for a second." You know, we are having any second doubts about you. Again, to your point, I, I, that's a very good point that you make because I do think it's a bit of a risky play. Is it worth, you know, messing with the psyche of your franchise quarterback at all? I, I do think one more thing to point out on Fields and the Bears, it is, you know, Brian Poles and Matt Eberflus did not select Justin Fields. Right. So this is not like this regime – chose him and said, this is our swing at quarterback. You know, Shane Steichen is, you know, obviously he's not going to be the sole decision maker in this, but he's going to have a decent amount of say in this process. It's not the same for Eberflus. It's not the same for Poles, specifically with the Bears. So that does lead me to think you just never really know when that regime did not make that selection. I believe I saw in that podcast um, with the Barstool guys, um, pardon my take or whatever that, I think it's pardon my take is what it's called. They interviewed him and he talked about how playing outside in the cold, he doesn't feel he ever really gets loose and he hopes that they end up building a dome. Unless that was made up or I dreamt that. <laughs> so I, oh. I just thought I, I, maybe I see if you look that up, make sure I have that right. Because sometimes I fall asleep in the midday and I wake back up and, oh, wow, really that happened? But I don't I think this is the case right here. It, that that sounded a little bit weird. And again, we're, we're swinging at nothing but air. But that's what this time of year is all about, discussing things that may not happen whatsoever, but you're just kind of curious about given some of the circumstances surrounding the teams involved. Yeah, and to be totally honest, John, that's what sucks about the next couple months. Like, you you know, we aren't used to the Colts being in this position where you can narrow it to, you know, a a couple of prospects and, and you are sitting there at four overall, so there's not a lot of variables in front of you. In the draft, there's always variables in the draft, even when you're drafting as high as the Colts are. I, I, I do think, you know, you can look at Jim Irsay yesterday, and he all but confirmed it. They are going to be drafting a quarterback. I, right. I'd be stunned if they did not. So I, I do think that is something we can go with. But, man, this, these next two months, if the Colts are doing their job, they will leak misinformation, frankly. And, and, and that's what they will try to do over the next two months, which is brutal for, you know, people in kind of our world, but that's the name of the game when you have such a monumental decision for your franchise. He's Kevin Bowen with us. Morning show, Kevin and Query. Weekday mornings here, 7 until 10 a.m. on the fan. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So just out of curiosity, what do you think? And again, completely hypothetical. This probably will never happen. People are going to wonder why I asked, but I have you here, so why not? Do you think that they would consider a Justin Fields over one of these quarterbacks coming out right now? Do you think they would consider that if they felt that they had what it would take to get up there and do something with the Bears? Just out of curiosity. Yeah, I think they would. Um, you know, to me, Fields is a guy that you you wouldn't 
have to be like, oh, man, I wonder how he's going to, you know, look in an NFL game from a deer in headlights standpoint. Uh, obviously, he hasn't had great success with Chicago, but I think there are signs there. Uh, from a style standpoint, you can see some similarities in him as a runner um, to what they did with Jalen Hurts. Um, I think some of the negatives would be, again, it's not like he's – Chicago wouldn't even think about trading him if he – you know, hadn't had some ups and downs in his first two seasons, but he'd be learning a new offense already. Um, You would have to kind of judge how he would react to being traded and how he would handle that. Clearly a guy like Carson Wentz did not handle that very well. How would Justin Fields react to that? And then also, and maybe this is a little bit not in the short term, but I mean, that would be year two for Fields. This would be year three. You would have to make a decision on the fifth year of his rookie contract coming up. Right in I think next off season. So you would have to pay him pretty quickly. So it would have to be, you know, somewhat of a sure thing, or you have to feel very confident. I'd also be curious, just, and I don't know this at all. I mean, what would it cost? Are you giving up? Number oh four yeah. Yeah. I know. I, yeah. This, this is just, is yeah, there's no doubt. No yeah, doubt. Like, is that it? Or do you have to give up more? Um, you know, where do you feel like you're at, you know, timetable wise as a roster, you feel like, hey, Fields in a year can get us where, you know, maybe C.J. Stroud it would have to take two or three years. You know, how do you judge that? Yeah, all of it is very interesting, ton of dilemmas with it. But I do think it would be it would be a conversation you would have to have. Uh, yeah, here here it is again. Justin Fields, pardon my take, said he feels slower in the cold and hopes the Bears get a dome. <laughs> Boy, I bet Bears fans just love hearing the Georgia kid who played in Big Ten country say that. Yeah, you gotta love that, don't you, Kevin Bowen? What's to that? Be fair, I don't think he's wrong. To be fair, I think he'd look like a hell of an athlete running around there in a dome. Hey, by the way, you were there yesterday. Where was what was the most uncomfortable moment? Was it that when Jim Irsay brought up the Alabama quarterback or Greg Doyle's initial question? Which one was the most uncomfortable in that room? <laughs> it probably depends on who you were. Uh, I, I would say when Doyle asked the question again, I we we all know Greg. That is Greg. Like I, I you know, as soon as he grabbed the mic, I was like, okay, here goes something where I probably will lower my head a little bit and. And I, I clearly did that. So from a media standpoint, it was probably when Greg asked the question. Uh, from a Chris Ballard, Shane Steichen standpoint, it was easily when Ursa made that comment. Uh, but yeah, Shane Steichen, uh, get used to Greg Doyle in those press conference settings. What do you think about what took place yesterday? What do you think about moving forward with Shane Steichen? I thought he handled it really well yesterday. Uh, you know, obviously overcome with emotion early on. I mean, how would he not be considering the 48 hours that he's just gone through and such a whirlwind and clearly this means the world to him understandably but i thought as soon as it got to q a are, are you having him on today john yeah he's coming on 5 30 yeah you know as soon as he got to q a i mean it was direct it was football talk it was my message is going to be very clear he is yeah, I said this to Jake earlier today, and, you know, in typical Jake fashion, fashion, I think he thought I was talking about him, and I wasn't. But Shane Steichen is a smart dude that doesn't have to talk for four minutes to understand he's smart. Like, you know in a short period of time that he is a bright, bright individual, especially talking about the game of football. First off, Philip Rivers doesn't hang out with, you know, mediocre intelligence people football-wise. So that's pretty obvious. But 
I just listened to him yesterday and thought to myself, for a guy that's going to be leading a room, leading a locker room, that is the type of messaging that I think works. A guy that, again, you initially listen to him and they're like, okay, he's pretty smart. And you don't have to listen to him for two or three minutes to realize that. He gets his message across very clearly. He doesn't waste words. And I think that's the type of communicator you would want. And if you listen to Jalen Hurts, if you listen to Devontae Smith or A.J. Brown, they all of them have said that in some way, shape, or form. And in watching Shane Steichen handle that yesterday, I can see why they said that. All right. You asked the question about play calling, and he came immediately with an answer that he was going to do it. And this is something I'm interested in asking him today because he was the OC under Nick Sirianni a year ago. I think it was in November a year ago, and Nick Sirianni said, you know what, there's too much going on here. I need to hand over the play calling to Shane Steichen, the OC. And they, they really played well, obviously. This year did it really well offensively. Is is there a thought in your opinion, as to why he, he would consider being a part of that before, but going ahead and taking on and shouldering the load of the offensive play calling as a first-time head coach now? Yeah, it's a really good question. It's probably my biggest question for him, just, you know, how will you delegate responsibilities with the rest of the staff? I mean, it sounded very Frank Reich-like and bullish on himself as a play caller, which, again, the Steichen resume, I can see why he would want to do that. Um you know, I I might be way wrong on this, but I think my initial thought in listening to Steichen yesterday, and again, I don't love that because I think on game day it's so important just to be locked in and in tune of what's going on during a game. That That is a – you better have somebody in the booth that has your ear like none other and you trust that person and you basically just regurgitate whatever that person does from a timeout, challenge, clock management standpoint to you. My worry when Sirianni took the Philly job, and I you know, said this to people in, in Philly when I did some radio hits there, of, I love emotionally. I think you really like how he connects, but that'll be a lot if he's going to call the plays. And eventually he realized he couldn't do that. Shane Steichen strikes me as a guy that potentially could handle it better than Sirianni. Again, I still think it's a lot to put on your plate, but he does strike me as a guy that can maybe compartmentalize a little bit better. He's emotional, but I don't think he's like Sirianni emotional. I don't think he's going to be yelling at fans after a win or, you know, crying during the national anthem or anything like that. So I, maybe he can handle it a little bit better. But if you're going to do that, again, you one of your most important hires has got to be someone strictly for in-game management that you trust without having to have a back-and-forth dialogue with them during a game. I, I know this So Philip Rivers, right? So Philip Rivers is who you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> that would definitely be Is Philip going to move the eight kids back here? Um, <laughs> I listen, I I feel like I want to ask him that because I know it sounds yeah. outrageous, but neither does this other crap we've been talking about. Doesn't sound any more outrageous than that, does it? I if we got a chance to talk to him one-on-one yesterday, I would have asked him, "Will Philip Rivers be a part of your staff?" Yes, so I think it's a totally fair question i think they still talk if i'm not mistaken like almost weekly right and kind of go over things from an eagles film standpoint again i, I i'll just point this out real quick because i know that you're up against it a bit but you go back to that college football semifinal game earlier this year georgia and ohio state great game of course one of the biggest moments in that game ohio state runs that fake punt and kirby smart is able to get that timeout in right before the fake punt happens i know it's college and not the nfl but that is Kirby Smart, who's not a play caller, 
but is locked into that moment. And either he sees it himself or someone tells him, hey, hey, this is not the look that we are used to or prepared for. Something funky is going on. They get the timeout in at the last second. They are able to obviously regroup, and I think Ohio State ended up punting it after that. If he were with Stetson Bennett on the sidelines getting ready for the next drive, maybe you don't see that as the head coach. That's some of the in-game stuff that concerns me. If you're going to be a play caller, every down matters even more in the NFL. You've got to have someone that is so locked into that and is in your ear and prepares you for those moments. So Kevin Bowen, he and Jay Query got you 7 until 10 a.m. weekday mornings here. It's Kevin and Query on the fan. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. All right, get back to Rosie and Max. Stay up. Watch the little IU Northwestern hoopage. Hey, shout out to Brooks Barnheiser, too. I hope Brooks Barnheiser has a fantastic game at Evanston tonight. Hey, I don't know what that hair's talking about on Brooks, but he can play a little. <laughs> yeah, it's uh his dad, honestly, at Lafayette Jeff now is is one of the it has been forever, the best coaches in the state of Indiana. Bar none. On any level, in any sport, he is just that, man. And uh Yeah, I was gonna say he's uh he's an icon in the state, really. Yeah. It's uh awesome. All right, buddy, I appreciate you more than you know. Thanks for adjusting. Yes, thank you, John. We'll talk to you. Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairgrounds. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com.